We all got 2020'd. But I'm not playing the victim card, and I don't want you to either. We're going to finish the year with some practical, actionable episodes to help you get momentum that will take you into a new life now. Don't wait until January. Now is the time to get in the fight. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Earlier this year, in the midst of the pandemic shutdowns, I began to notice some subtle changes in myself. I was angry a lot more, irritable, not sleeping as well, impatient, had also lost a lot of my normal interest in hobbies, some of my standard hobbies, motorcycles, uh, engines, on and on and went. And I went down a mental health checklist at the National Institute of Health, and what do you know? That's kind of common for guys who are in depression. And so maybe for the first time in my life, I was battling some depression. It wasn't clinically diagnosed. I wasn't curled up in, in a bed in the corner of my room with the lights off. But I've been feeling things that I haven't felt before and not feeling things I like to feel. So today, as we approach the end of the hardest, suckiest year I can remember, we're going we're gonna to lock horns with mental health it's important, it's timely, and it's time we confront it and talk about it. I, I know that this is a very common topic. Mental health, people are talking about it more than more than ever. But I haven't talked about that much. And, and that's all that matters, that I'm talking about it. Because I get to say what I say, I get to believe what I believe, and you have to listen to it. At least until you turn it off. Maybe you've already turned it off and, and, and I've offended you. It's okay. I, I'm an equal opportunity offender. You might be aware of the Stockdale Paradox, named for a Vietnam POW naval officer, James Stockdale, who also ran with Ross Perot back in the 80s for vice president. It teaches that survival requires balancing of optimism and realism. Stockdale writes, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. We have some brutal facts to confront. Mental health in America was at a bad place before 2020 hit us like a freaking freight train. Things like one in five adults in America will experience a mental health problem in a normal year. 19 million Americans aged 18 to 54 have an anxiety disorder right now. An estimated 6 million men suffer from depression. Much of that undiagnosed. Men are actually four times as likely to die by suicide than women. Approximately one in every five men will develop alcohol dependency. Actually, men are also 2x more likely to have an alcohol abuse-related incidence. Last year, America had its lowest showing on the World Happiness Report, slipping to 19th place. And I've said before, I've seen those statistics. And Mexico ranks above us as America. Maybe we should be fleeing to Mexico instead of Mexico fleeing to us or many of their citizens. I'm excited to welcome today Angela Duggar to The Aggressive Life. She's the director of affiliates at NAMI Ohio, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness and has experienced confronting mental illness, especially in men. This is an important conversation, one I'm hoping to grow from, and it's going to be an aggressive move for you to stick with us. So welcome to The Aggressive Life, Angela Duggar. Thanks for having me. I'm having fun already. You're having fun already. I haven't even asked. How are you having fun already? 
<laughs> yeah, I like your energy. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping my energy up as we look at the news reports. You know, all the COVID stuff is not looking good. You and I started talking about this before we started recording. I said, stop, stop, Angela. Stop. Let's 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 hold off on this. So let's just talk about some depressing things for a moment, shall we? Yeah, in a mental health thing, can we talk about depressing statistics? Can we do that, Angela? We can. Okay. So you were saying, yeah, I think twenty. You said twenty twenty one. You don't. You're not very hopeful for positive things around COVID in twenty twenty one. Tell me why. So I'm going to reframe that just a bit, and I think that that's a part of wellness. Reframing it, I um, was in a meeting just before this. I was told that I'm a silver lining sort of person. I didn't exemplify that in our previous conversation, but I think there's a lot of positive that can come out of COVID. Certainly not the illnesses, not, not the negative impacts of, on our mental health. We've increased our ability to communicate with one another on different platforms in, in the sort. So I like to point out a few silver linings, at least in the beginning. But I, I do agree that we're probably going to be in a similar boat throughout 2021. Looking at the reports, looking at the numbers, I'm, I'm no public health expert by any means, but I, I think we're going to be doing this well into next year. Yeah. So here, here's here's my overarching question. I've never had anybody, I've got my theories, but I haven't had anybody kind of weigh in who is... Um, as knowledgeable as you. Here's my question. It seems like mental health is skyrocketing. And I don't mean we're just talking about it. I mean, actual legitimate, legitimate mental health issues. And, And I'm not even talking about 2020 bringing it on because all of us are having mental and emotional challenges 2020. I'm, I'm thinking about one of the most consistent people I've ever known in my life, my cousin, Herb. Herb was just steady Eddie. I knew him as a little kid. Whatever Herb did, he was steady Eddie, whether it was playing Little League Baseball, whether it was graduating from Penn State, whether it was going on and being an engineer and working in power plants. Just, he, he just steady Eddie. Gosh, just an amazing, amazing man. And then a few years ago, it was like out of nowhere, he caught bipolar like you'd catch the flu. Bam, out of nowhere. Crazy, crazy erratic behavior. Leaving his job, running up his credit cards, uh, just, just on and on and on and on. And then for all of us in our family, uh, it looks like he started coming down from a manic episode. And there was maybe a, a brief moment of clarity as he was going from manic into depression. And he looked at what happened in his life and he said, what have I done? And then he committed suicide. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was it was tough. It's still tough um, thinking about it and talking about it, not just because he was just a great, great dude, but it's just not understandable. A great family, all that stuff. And I, I'm just going like, what is going on that this mm-hmm. is happening? This has to be happening, Angela, at a at a much higher rate than ever before in world history. Yes, no, What? Well, what's going on? I'm not sure. How how old was he? Oh, he was at that time probably 50. 50. And that's, ironically, that's actually pretty common. Um, the rates of bipolar, the, the diagnosis age, is actually typically higher than, say, schizophrenia and other things like that. Sometimes we can look back and we can see maybe some some signs. But as in your case with your cousin, there were no signs. You say he's steady Eddie, doing very well. But then, sadly, illnesses creep up. There's a lot of research out there as to why 
that happens. I mean, we've seen twins, identical twins. One may have a mental illness, one may not. So sometimes it's just luck of the draw. And sometimes there are either environmental or social triggers. Um, but sometimes we just don't know. And, and I know that that's probably not an answer that, that we want to hear, but sometimes we just don't know why we've seen it. I, I think I mentioned with head injuries, we've seen it after a, an illness crop up, but sometimes mental illness breaks such as bipolar disorder happen sometimes later in life. So, so let's say, let's say we could get a, an accurate snapshot in America in 2020, how many people are dealing with mental illness and I'm talking right. I'm not talking about the run, normal run-of-the-mill stress. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I'm talking about, you know, verifiable depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, on and on and on. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's say we were to put an overlay over America in 2020 and come up with the exact statistic of how many people have those issues. If we were to take those same metrics, Angela, and we were to overlay them. In 1920, in 1820, in 1720, do you think it would be the same number of people? I know those people who are diagnosed that, but do you think that they were there? I think they were there. Absolutely. You look back to Dorothea Dix, who was a very big champion for mental health awareness and for the proper treatment of those in those early 1900 mental health facilities. She's a really interesting gal. Um, She was living, you know, affected by mental illness herself, but she was a champion and she identified that there are mental illnesses out there, even if we might not know their name, we might not know schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, bipolar one, bipolar two, and and the sort. But I would say, I mean, I've not done any research about it, but I would say that absolutely, I mean, we go back years, 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 absolutely. I think the triggers of 100, 200 years ago, as far as what might bring on a mental health episode or a psychotic episode might be different than say now we have COVID that we're dealing with and that's a huge trauma. And I think that that's what we're at least um, my opinion. I think traumas are what it is that can bring on many issues. So we're certainly talking about it more now than we were before. So therefore it's out in the open, which is a really good thing. Glad we're talking about it. But I'll just say from my anecdotal experience, I'm a 55 year old dude and it, it is it is not the same. I've, I've been a pastor in ministry and intensive people interaction, intensive for 38 years. And I'll just tell you, it is not the same now as it was 38 years ago, 28 years ago. It's, it's, it's just not. What's going on? What, what's different that's making this pop up? You're talking about environmental situations or triggers. We have triggers in our, in our country and the way in which we live right now that are causing this to pop out when before it would lay dormant? Is that what you're saying? I think in some cases, sure. But I, I want to differentiate between talking about severe and persistent mental illness, which many times ha- can have a biological, what as, as can depression and anxiety. In some of the more severe mental illnesses, such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, there can be that biological component. But what we're seeing now, and I think what you might be referring to, is that uptick in more severe depression, whereas you didn't have it before. I do not live with mental illness, but I tell you, I, I started taking Effexor myself because I, I was having a real hard time with dealing with the isolation and the um, just kind of feelings of being alone. 
to kind of help me cope. Certainly there's some other things that we can get into later as far as things to kind of thwart some of those depressive feelings that we may have. But with depression and anxiety, we're dealing with a very fast paced world and we're dealing with male or female. We're dealing with responsibilities that we may not have had to deal with, like you say, 30, 40 years ago, just to take it back into, you know, men's health. Men are, I don't know if it's better or not. I'm, I'm coming from a woman's perspective, but I imagine it's, there's less stigma than there used to be with a man talking about mental illness or mental health, you know, issues, feelings, but still men have been socialized historically to their masculinity, to be masculine, to, you know, suck it up, don't cry, but it's okay for the girl to cry. It's okay for the girl to be emotional. So that's one of the, one of the differences or, or things to dig under is how men and women approach mental health. You're saying that men just more naturally stuff it and don't want to express it. And that makes us more susceptible or, or, or what, how, how, how are we different? I'd have to actually research the statistics on this. I don't know if men and women are really at any sort of different likelihood of getting a mental illness. It's just that identification. I think a woman is more inclined to call up a girlfriend and talk about it. And talk therapy actually has been shown to actually regrow some of those synapses in your brain that even medicines can help. So actually just talking about it can actually help. So I think that there is kind of this differentiation as far as looking at women versus men. Women seek out support and mental health care at a higher rate than men do. That's not to say that men don't have their own ways of coping and not that all of those ways are negative. Um, men sometimes have a more increased chance of self-medicating, whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs um, or negative behaviors. Not that women don't do that as well, but, but it is more common in men. So mental health in 2020, is it worse in 2020 than previous years? I would say yes. I, I would say yes. Um, at NAMI, we have helplines, um, whether it be locally at our 40 affiliates or we have our state hotline as well. I've received more COVID-related calls from individuals such as yourself or myself that have received or began feeling these depressive feelings that they've never had before. So I am taking more calls from folks that have not otherwise had mental health symptoms that are having them now. And they have no idea how to gain resources, how to gain, you know, get into therapy. And, and then there's insurance that's a whole layer on top of that, that people have to navigate. And that's essentially what we're here for too, is to help people navigate systems and advocate. So you mentioned earlier that you're, you're taking a medication for the first time right now. Do you mind telling me again what that medication is and, and, and why you chose to take it? Well, there's a couple things. And I think it's important to share. I was actually diagnosed with breast cancer last year. Mm. So, and taking some new medications had some mental health side effects. And I choose to share that because that's the same for men too, regardless of whether it's a male or a female. Sometimes what precipitates a mental health issue could be a physical diagnosis as well, such as cancer, such as diabetes, any of those things. And, and for me, mine was a medication side effect, but also an environmental issue that caused some, some you know, angry feelings. So it was recommended by my oncologist to start taking that. But in my most recent follow-up appointment, I shared openly. And I, I am actually one of those women that sometimes is a bit more reluctant to share, even though I work in mental health. Um, I'm sometimes a bit more reluctant to ask for that help because I'm the one that's supposed to be helping. Yes. 
I asked her, I said, hey, is there something we can do? Can, can, can we up this? And she said, yes, absolutely. So it is a Fexer. It's a Fexer XR that I take. Fairly low dose, but, um, but I did have her, I had her up it. And you know what? I don't feel bad for it because I'm dealing with a lot. Not only I had been physically, but now we're dealing with COVID. And it's, it's that isolation that's really impacted my ability to take joy in some of the things that I had taken joy in prior. My wife had a similar thing a few years ago when she had a stroke, a massive stroke. And miraculously, she recovered from that stroke. But they, I can't remember where they put her. They put, they put her on some medicine that would help her from, help her brain chemistry and help her from dipping into a depression, I think it was. I don't know the name of that medication. But yeah, the medical stuff does make it a game changer. I, I think the, the statistic I've seen, and I think I'm going to undershoot it. Tell me what the statistic is, if you know. One in four Americans are on some sort of anti-anxiety medication. Does that sound right, or is, it, is that number different? Um, that actually sounds pretty accurate to me. I don't know the exact statistic, but I wouldn't be surprised if at least the incidence of anxiety and maybe needing some sort of either medication or remedy would be even higher than that 25%. Uh, I'll, I'll just play my cards here. So one, of the, one of the things I do, it's called the aggressive life. It's not called the beat around the bush life. It's called the aggressive right. life. <laughs> so, and, and I'm going to say some things really strongly and I'm only staying them strongly to give you softballs to swat down and put back in my face and be very clear. <laughs> All right. Know? Well, I'm going to start with one. We talked about medication real quick. I want to yeah. add one thing with medication. I mentioned that I take a Fexer. I have, you know, other individuals that I work with that take a multitude of things, but I do want to share and I want your listeners to know that just because a Fexer works for me or whatever your wife may take or what another man may take, that does not mean that that's going to work for you. And I encourage people to not get disappointed if you have to switch a medication, try something else. I was lucky that it worked for me on the first go around. But sometimes you do have to try something new. And that's regardless of whether it's a medication, regardless of if it's a lifestyle change. There's always different things that work for different people. But go ahead. Yeah, well said, well said. Again, I'm just drawing on my on my own anecdotal experience it is, that is relatively intensive. I'm not, I don't know that anybody is in a, interacts with more people over a longer period of time than me. I mean, it's, it's just a lot, a lot, or at least someone of my job, I mean. Um, a lot of counseling, a lot of people sitting around the campfire, a lot of people coming up after I preach a sermon, a lot of emails from, I mean, just, 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 in fact, so much, I get overwhelmed. I, I, the relational demands on me are uh, really um, high. And it's one of the things I love about my day job. It's also one of the things that's very challenging about, about my day job. I think, uh, I, was, I said I want to state it strongly, but I don't want to be a jerk when I state it either. I just want to no, give you something. No, I, hey, you're not going to offend me. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't want to offend needlessly our people who are listening too. I'm fine to be an equal opportunity offender. I just don't want to offend people needlessly. So uh, I, everyone's just heard that caveat. So here we go. Let me just wade into it anyway. I don't think one in four people were born with a chemical imbalance that's messing up their brains and causing them to have undue anxiety. I don't think that one in four people need to be on medication. It's helping, need. I think one in four people probably need to learn more of the old school, how humans operate than we do today in 2020. 
We've we've eliminated our social interactions. I hate social distancing. I'm fine with spatial distancing, but social distance distancing, we've been doing that for years and years and years, and that's part of the problem. I, I don't like the way that we are structuring our daily lives in our culture. I don't know, I don't like how we're leaving vacation days on the table. I don't like how when I talk to Talk to people and ask them, what is your hobby? How do you get away from things? Most people cannot identify what they do to have fun. Most people cannot identify anybody to share their problems with. That's why we have counselors. Thankful for counselors. I have some personal problems right now that I need a counselor for. Okay, but for most of my life, the counselor would just be a paid friend when I can actually have friends who I confess things to and talk to things. I think it's easier for us as a culture right now to prescribe a pill than it is to have holistic change to your life and to challenge the assumptions people will have about how they should live their life. Your reaction to that, please. First, let me say I agree with you wholeheartedly. Great. Okay, let's end the podcast right now. <laughs> she, she, she agrees with me wholeheartedly. That's good. Let, let, let's go to the prayer. But, I, got, I got the word butt out first. <laughs> okay, all right, go ahead. <laughs> The, the but to that is, let's start here. If you're somebody living with depression, and let's talk about men who we talked about earlier, society kind of says you, you, you're not supposed to feel that way. You're not supposed to express emotion, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, go to work. So if you're that man or woman who may be listening, you're not going to want to share that with somebody. So seeking out that friend, seeking out someone to share that with isn't really feasible in that situation. People like me and you, absolutely, we're gonna seek out that help, we're gonna seek out that support. But an individual who is typically in charge of their life hasn't had some mental health issues whatsoever, they're not necessarily gonna seek it out. So let's talk about that person a little bit deeper in the realm of medications. I agree that if we had these supports and we had that ability to talk to one another, whether it be therapy or not, it actually works. It, like I mentioned before, it actually regrows parts of the brain that kind of cause some of that depression. We're just able to talk to one another. Um, so you are speaking my language and I do agree with you, but sometimes medications, there are true chemical interactions there. So that's one way of saying it. Like I'm on medication that actually changed me from cancer that changed my you know, hormones and all that good stuff. If we have a broken arm, obviously it We're needs to be dealt that. with. And if we've got a broken synaptic connection or something's going on chemically, we've got to fix that. So yes, yes, yes. I'm just talking about the one and four, but, but keep going. The keep one going. and four. Yeah, but keep going. those folks, no, but those folks specifically, sometimes taking a medication short term, again, not a doctor, I'm a social worker, but sometimes taking a medication, it can be prescribed for a short period of time until those synapses can kind of regrow. Because when we're in active depression, we're not always making the right decisions. We're not always able to kind of get over that initial hump. And medication short term can actually really help that. So you're talking the mm. one in four, you're not Good. talking about severe cases. I, I hesitate. I can't say that I recommend or don't recommend. That would be inappropriate of me. But I do not see a problem with somebody taking a medication short term to get over a hump to allow their brain to heal in order to develop some of these coping skills that you're talking about. That's good. Uh, do, do you have any idea of how many people do take something short-term then cycle off, uh, cycle off it? Is there, is there any? I don't have a percentage for that, but I know just from my own personal work, I know, um, gosh, at least 50% of the people that I have worked with through the years have at least tried it. I have family members that have tried it, um, but I don't have an exact percentage, but it's quite a few. What, what are some of the danger signs 
that we may be getting closer to having to do something more drastic, whether it is take medication or a total life rewrite. What 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 are the clues? Well, there are a lot of clues. The early ones. Uh, the early ones. If you're starting to have a decreased interest in things that used to bring you joy previously, that is a major major one for both men and women. You mentioned motorcycles and working on engines. That very hands-on type of thing. That's key. That's that's actually in my experience, not only personally but professionally. That's one of the biggest first indicators. If we want to take it a little bit further. For some, it's not even taking it further. Sometimes suicidal thoughts are actually some of the first signs, at least during, you know, this whole COVID. I mean, we know suicide rates are on the on the rise. Addiction and overdoses are on the rise. And are some of those overdoses suicides as well? So having some of those thoughts, maybe I want to try a new drug or a new, it could be alcohol. Alcohol is completely legal, but I want to try this. I want to do this. Some of those negative self-medicating things are... Um, are actually, sadly, some of the earlier indicators, including suicidal ideation. That's good. So if I'm not interested in my motorcycle or not interested in finger painting, if you're a finger painter or not interested in that, ooh, okay. If I'm having weird thoughts come across my mind, like, boy, I could I could end things right now and I'd feel better. Yeah, what would life be like without me? I think sleep patterns is a, is a huge one. Whether you're sleeping more or sleeping less or having more uninterrupted sleep. That said, um, I want I want to add in here before I forget. Always go to your primary care doctor as well because some mental health symptoms can be explained by physical health issues too. So always a pop into your actual primary care physician is always a good idea too because when we talk about sleep, there can be many physical underlying things, and even with depression, you can have a physical underlying condition that causes these symptoms. But also, um, I'll add to the sleep, also changes in eating patterns, whether you're eating more to kind of stuff some of those feelings or eating less. And actually, even some digestive issues can come along with um, a lot of anxieties, a lot of depressions, having t- an upset stomach. I, I just learned the other day that, you know, we do a number of marriages at the church, which I, mm-hmm. which I lead, and, and new marriages, those that start this year, are tanking already at twice the rate of previous years. Overall, I think the statistic was that divorce is up 40% as well across the board. So there's certainly a level of mental health here, and I don't mean necessarily something that's prescribed medication mental health, just I'm, I'm not mentally, I'm not, I'm just not mentally doing well. So if I look at myself, you gave me some good ideas how to notice something isn't well within me. What do we do with our spouse if we're seeing those things? Or how do we approach our spouse? I know for sure one thing to not do is, hey, honey, you must be bipolar because you're bothering me right now. I know we're not supposed to do that. But what coaching do we have for for those of us in marriages if we might be seeing this affecting our relationship? I've actually been there. While I am not married, I have dated the same man for 12 years. I can tell you that while... You, I, I'm assuming, I'm making an assumption here. Well, you and I both are in helping positions. Sometimes we need to channel what it is that we would say professionally into our personal dialogue. It's difficult to do though. And I, and I want to identify that. And I want to be clear that just because we're good at it at work or we're good at it with our friends does not necessarily make us good at it with our spouse because, or our significant other. There are a lot more emotions involved. There's a lot more expectation from a partner to share that, you know, hopefully 50-50. But 
but we have to remember that we're in relationships and I'm, I'm pro relationship. I, I hate to see the divorce rates, but we have to understand that when we get into relationships, especially long-term relationships, you're making a commitment that it's not always going to be 50, 50, it's going to be 70, 30, 60, 40. But moving on from there, as far as how to approach someone, approaching them with kindness, not accusations, I have found to be extremely helpful. I kind of smirk here as I say this because I failed and that's okay that I failed. But the fact is, is that I come back and I still am telling my significant other that I care about them and I'm noticing these changes. And this actually might be a good time for me to share a definition of what is mental health. And I think that that's important for listeners to hear if you're okay with me saying this. Yes, please. I'm going to actually read it so that I, so that I'm clear with everyone listening. Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, how we relate to others, and how we make choices. So that, I, I choose at this moment to share that simply because if we're seeing those changes, that definition may give people some sort of thing to kind of attach yeah. their conversations to what it is that they want to say. Hey, I noticed that you're not out on your motor motorcycle as much. I noticed that um, you're a little bit more confrontational when we talk. Whatever that symptom may I be. I am not more confrontational when we talk. Why would you think I'm more confrontational when I talk? <laughs> because of that right there. <laughs> See, wow. That's why it's hard. That's why it's so hard in a relationship wow. because I would be offended by that and I'd probably want to yell back. But it really is educating ourselves and maybe reaching out to NAMI or reaching out to your pastor for some guidance on specific situations. Yeah. And that's where I think what you do as a pastor and what I do in mental health is key because we're here to listen to people. Every story is going to be a bit different, but we really have to ensure that we're not attacking that other person, regardless of how it makes us feel. Angela, you're Bam, you're dropping truth bombs left and right. I hadn't even thought about, I hadn't even thought about being more confrontational. I am absolutely more confrontational right now. In fact, I just had a confrontation with a staff member. wasn't wasn't a real bad one. wasn't like screaming, but you know, I, I was not as willing to just, you know, let it go. Yeah, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that a lot myself. I'm not, now. I'm hearing you talk. I'm. I'm concerned that I'm. I'm concerned that I'm. You know, rebounding back into where I was a few months ago. No, I think you're just human. Uh. I think you're just human. And one piece of advice that I have, and and this is something that I've really taken to heart. That's really affected how I communicate with others, whether personal relationships, professional relationships, or total strangers. And it sounds kind of canned and maybe a little bit cliche, but we have to remember, especially now during COVID, but we should remember this well beyond COVID. We're all struggling. Mm. We all are fighting our own demons, yes. regardless of what that is. We have to give people grace. We have to mm. forgive. Yes. We have to remember that it's not always about us, even though we are an individualistic society. It's not always about me and how I feel. I have to remember that if you're confrontational to me, there's a reason why you're confrontational today. There's a reason why you're not listening to me today. So it's up to me to maybe take a step back and try it again tomorrow. Man, and if it doesn't work tomorrow, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, you know, hopefully it's nicely that this is what I'm seeing from you. That That's, that's, that's a great word. I, I I am, uh, I never say I'm terrified, but I'll use it this time. 
I, I am terrified of what it looks like over the next several months. And I'm talking about on a mental health standpoint, not a COVID, because we all know that in these winter months, as the sun goes down and there's more darkness and it's more cold, people aren't out as much right now, or will not be out as much. Depression, anxiety already decreases on a normal thing. Layer on to that now that we're in month nine of COVID and we don't have any any respite that's visible that we can see and we're not going to be able to have our holiday traditions or they're going to be impinged. Man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I, I am I am terrified. I am terrified for our country. I'm terrified for the average person because the average person doesn't know how to take care of themselves in normal times. Mm-hmm. And in these times, man, it's, it's just not good. It's not good. React to that. It's not good. No. And even my doctor, when I, when I asked for, you know, an increase in my effects there, she looked right at me straight in the eye. She said, it's going to get worse in the winter. She didn't mean COVID. She meant mental health. Mm. It is going to get worse. And, and it does traditionally around the holidays. Anyways, our mental health seems to decline with the lack of sunshine. Our mental health seems to decline. I mean, the thing is, I think about people like you, people like me who have some family supports. We yeah. have people that even right. if we're distancing ourselves, we have people that can use Zoom, that have access to social media, have access to these platforms. I'm concerned not just for men, women in general. I'm concerned also about folks that don't have family, yes. folks that don't have those resources. So that's where, I mean, pat you on the back a little bit. That's where I am incredibly honored to be here because you as a pastor, you have a platform to reach people that might not otherwise be reached. So I truly appreciate you that in your capacity with your church, really reaching out to people. And yeah. that's quite frankly, you're saving lives. Th- thank you, Angela. But you, you, you brought up just another one that I didn't even mention. The holidays in and of themselves are stressful because for every person like me, who's got a warm, immediate family experience and we'll all gather for every person like me, there's multiple others that don't have that. They're already depressed because their family isn't healthy for th- a norm- normal Thanksgiving or a normal Christmas. This is, yeah, it's just, it's just not good. I, I, you're helping me. This is actually turning into a very, a good personal counseling session. So thank you very I, much. I, Anna. Mind. I think what I'm recognizing right now is I had this trip that I was going to take in February and I thought, um, no, I think, I think things would be too busy. I think I'm going to, call that off. I think I'm going to keep that trip going in February. It's, it's an overlanding trip. I was going to do overlanding and camping with some folks. And there was a whole bunch of reasons not to do it. But as I just think my own mental health now, I probably need, I probably won't just need that respite if I can do it in February, but I need the, the mental health of looking forward to and planning something that I can do in three months. Exactly. Um, and you hit, you hit something. I'm glad you said it because I would have forgot otherwise. This is a time of disappointments. And I think that that's a huge underlying factor, not only for me, but for other people, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of family connections. This is nine months of disappointment. So I say keep your trip. If you're comfortable taking it, take it. If it's something that maybe I know many cruises have been canceled, things like that. But starting to truly plan things out that are going to make us happy, things that we can look forward to. And I would just to bring it back to men, historically, the men that I've worked with and my significant other who's been dealing with some significant suicidal thoughts and mental health issues, um, I actually quizzed him a little bit before this. And I said, do you have any advice? 
He said, do things that make you feel worthy. Do things that give you purpose. Do things that you can look forward to. And I really took that to heart. And I think that that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. I would be mindful of anyone listening to schedule things if you're feeling, you know, already that disappointment. Don't schedule things that are going to get canceled, that potentially could get canceled. Plan things that you have control over and that you can actually see through to full fruition. Yeah, that's a good word. Quick commercial break. Christmas is almost here to New Year. After that, if you're looking for a great gift for the aggressive man in your life, or if you're looking to take new ground in 2021 for yourself, why don't you head over to Amazon? Check out my newest devotional called Move, 66 prompts to kick your rear into gear, get the aggressive back in your life, specifically your quote unquote spiritual life with Move, the man devotional this holiday season. All right, Angela, are you ready for the lightning round? Because this is the round where I give you a topic and you have to answer it in one or two sentences. Are you up for the challenge of the lightning round? I'm up for it, but I'm going to have difficulty with one to two sentences. (laughs) I'll give it it my best. No, you can do it. Come on, don't limit yourself. Don't give yourself self-limiting talk. You can do that. I believe in you. I believe in me too. All right, right. some of this is- Some of this is a bit redundant, but it'll be good to hear you say it in one or two sentences. Here we go. Best thing you can do to maintain your mental health. Do something for yourself. Do things that give you purpose and that you can look forward to. Do something for yourself. Some of us feel guilty when we do something for yourself. Mm -hmm. Good word. Okay, here we go. Tips for starting a mental health conversation with a loved one. What's the opening line? I care about you. I mean, that, that's the opening line. I care about you. I and mean, then obviously this is going to depend upon um, this particular situation, but I care about you. Best lesson you've learned about mental health. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to need help. Most aggressive move you've made in regards to mental health. I've asked for help. That's for me. It's I've asked for help and I have admitted my failures and I'm okay with calling them failures. I have admitted when I've done things wrong. Advice for confronting anxiety. Recognize it and don't stigmatize yourself. Understand that anxiety is the number one most underrepresented mental health conditions in my opinion. Understand that it's real. Advice for confronting depression. I would give the same advice as I did with, with anxiety as well, but truly understanding what your triggers are. Reaching out either to a therapist or to a friend to understand what will precipitate your depressive symptoms. And if you're having suicidal thoughts, what are some triggers that have led you there? So, so Angela, any final thoughts from you? Anything that you want to say that you didn't have a chance to say because me as the host didn't ask you the right question? I don't want to end on a negative note, but I would like to talk about suicide a little bit. Yes. I would like folks to know that um, while not active right now, the National 988 number has been approved, and that's a crisis version of 911. So we do have that coming. But before then, we do have some crisis resources, not just at NAMI. NAMI, I mean, I want you to know that... um, your listeners to know to go to NAMI.org, that's N-A-M-I.org, to get in touch with their local state NAMIs throughout where, you know, wherever it is that they may live. There are a ton of NAMIs, over 600 throughout the entire nation. 
But I also want to let them know that there's suicide prevention hotline. There's the, um, my favorite is actually the 741-741 crisis text line. There is actually a warm body on the other side of that text. And sometimes we expect people to be able to get the words out when they're feeling that they're in crisis. You do not have to be actively suicidal to use that, but just to get some resources um, and some support. But 741-741 is an amazing crisis text line. Angela, this has been great. Is there any way someone can follow up with you or hear more from you? Just go ahead and promote yourself right now if you'd like to. Absolutely. Again, I'm Angela Duggar. I am the director of affiliates, um, which means I oversee the affiliates throughout the state of Ohio. I used to be an executive director of one of our affiliates. So really, truly grassroots experience with mental health. Um, I'll start off with the phone number. That's six now, this is amazing. Oh. You're an amazing guest. What? That's awesome. I mean, no <laughs> one's ever given their phone number out, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm curious at how many people call you. Just, just understand thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands, whatever, going to listen to this. So awesome. This is an aggressive move by you. Go ahead. Give yeah, it. Absolutely. Hey, that's what NAMI's all about. If you don't know NAMI, find out what NAMI is. It's yes, it's the National Alliance on Mental Illness, but we do support, we do advocacy, awareness, education. We are here in the true grassroots sense to get people connected to the help that they need. I would encourage them to go to NAMI.org first because that's our national entity. You can go there first to find some of your local NAMI resources. So I encourage you to do that first. I mean, aggressive move or not, you know what? We're a state organization and we're here to help. So I'm going to give it. It is 614-224-2700. And my email address is my full name, Angela Duggar, A-N-G-E-L-A-D-U-G-G-E-R at NAMIOhio.org. Angela, that's fantastic. Man, it's been an honor having you on the show. Would love to have you again sometime. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be under less trying circumstances, but unfortunately, I don't think the mental health stuff is going to go away for us anytime soon, but you've been a real blessing. Way to go, Angela Duggar. And that concludes yet another episode of The Aggressive Life. Hey, boys and girls, get out there and do something. Get out there and do something. Do not go home or stay home and get under your covers and just hope things are going to be okay. I think the big thing to learn from this for me is what can I do? Do something. Talk to someone. Set up an appointment with the counselor. Email Angela. Set up a vacation. Figure out a new hobby. Figure out... Do something. Don't just sit back hoping that this mental illness doesn't get worse for you. Take control of your life. Even maybe ask a physician for their help that they can subscribe. Take control. Don't just go passive. And that concludes another episode of The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band Judges for the Music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.